0: Good evening, in the news tonight, a database with complaints against almost 4,000 active NYPD officers has been made public. Anti-police brutality protests reignited across the country this weekend. Negotiations on a new COVID-19 relief package continue in Congress. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, July 20th, 2020. Days after a federal judge paused the public release of New York City police disciplinary records, a news website has published a database containing complaint information for thousands of officers. The searchable database, published by ProPublica, contains 12,056 complaints against 3,996 active NYPD officers. Police unions have sought to block the release of the records in court. We'll have more on this story after the break when we talk with our first guest. In other news, the escalating conflict in Portland, Oregon, between Black Lives Matter protesters and unmarked federal agents from the Department of Homeland Security has helped to reignite anti-police brutality protests across the country, from New York to Richmond to Austin to Aurora, Colorado to Seattle and back to Portland again. Here in New York, thousands rallied in Cadman Plaza Saturday afternoon and marched across the Brooklyn Bridge. In the evening, an unpermitted march started outside the Stonewall Inn in the West Village and headed to the East Village. Small trash fires lit up the night while outdoor diners looked on and police pursued the protesters' (laughs) In Austin, one protester was shot dead Saturday night following a confrontation with a driver who drove into an intersection full of demonstrators. Garrett Foster, 28, who was participating in the protest with his wheelchair-bound wife, approached the car with a rifle in hand. The driver responded by opening fire. You can listen to the sequence of events here, starting as the chanting protesters approach the intersection and then violence erupts. While the Black Lives Matter movement continues to enjoy broad support in public opinion polls. not everyone has got the message. On Sunday, Republican Senator Tom Cotton told the Arkansas Democrat Gazette that he considered slavery to have been a quote "necessary evil that made the development of the United States possible. Senator Cotton, yes, that's his name, later said he was misquoted. In other news, the worldwide death toll from the COVID-19 pandemic has passed 650,000, with more than 147,000 of those fatalities being in the United States, which leads the world in coronavirus deaths. Much of the U.S. continues to be plagued by the slow return of COVID-19 test results. The Trump administration has been widely criticized for its sluggish response to the crisis, but Trump's Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, blames the 50 states, not the federal government, for test result delays. Not everyone has to wait a week or more for test results. Major League Baseball resumed last week and all players and coaches are const- or, are tested on a near daily basis with results coming back within 24 to 48 hours. On Monday, the Miami Marlins announced that 12 of their players and two coaches had tested positive after a weekend series on the road against the Philadelphia Phillies. The Marlins have canceled their home opener tonight against the Baltimore Orioles while players undergo more tests. The Phillies have also postponed their game tonight against the New York Yankees. In other COVID-19 news, negotiations continue in Congress on a new stimulus package with the White House and the Republican-controlled Senate, pushing to reduce the weekly unemployment benefit from $600 to $200 per week while authorizing another one-time $1,200 check to go out to people. And finally, New Yorkers are being encouraged to reply to the U.S. Census. Barely half of New Yorkers have done so this year. Speakers at a press conference held earlier this morning in Lower Manhattan, emphasized that everything from future federal funding to the number of seats in Congress are determined by the results of the once-a-decade count. We've
1: seen through our work that the collective commitment and participation of New Yorkers leads to real change, and now we need to put that energy and that effort to ensure we get the complete and accurate test of count of every single resident in this great city the census is the most cancel action in addition to voting and protesting that New Yorkers can take to ensure that our government hears our voices, to ensure that we get the funding that we need for our schools, our hospitals, and our roads, and to make sure that we can build the road for our because we really need every dollar that we can get.
0: We'll be back with more after this short break.
1: Oh, I have ambitions, dreams. I saw a demon on my shoulder It's looking like patriarchy Like scrubbing blood off the ceiling And bleaching another carpet How my house go on it Why and body don't embody all the life she wanted the baby just 19 I know I dream all black I've seen that everything Immortalized tweets, all caps They said they found her dead One girl missing, another one girl missing one girl missing another, but niggas in the back quiet as a church mouse. Basement studio when duty calls to get the verse out. I guess the ego hurt now. Time to go to work, wow, look at him go. He really doubts to write about me when the world is in smokes, when it's people in trees. When George was begging for his mother saying he couldn't breathe, he thought to write about me. One girl missing another, one. Go missing. one girl missing another one. Yo, but little did I know all my reading would be about there's trans woman being murdered, and this is all he can offer, and this is all y'all receive. Distract you from the convo with organizers. They're talking abolishing the police, and this is a new world order. We democratizing Amazon. We find down borders. This is New Vanguard. This is New Vanguard. I'm a New Vanguard.
0: That was song 33 by No Name. You are listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Now in its 20th year of publishing, you can find our latest coverage at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-N-T dot O-R-G. I'm John Tarleton, the Indy's editor-in-chief. Days after a federal judge paused the public release of New York City police disciplinary records, A news website has published a database containing complaint information for thousands of officers. The searchable database, published by ProPublica, contains 12,056 complaints against 3,996 active NYPD officers. Police unions have sought to block the release of 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 the records in court. Joining us this evening to talk about these developments is Nick Encelada Malinowski, Civil Rights Campaigns Director for Vocal New York, one of the groups that has played a leading role in recent years in efforts to eliminate bail and reduce funding for the NYPD, among other causes. Nick, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me on, John.
0: You bet. So so this, uh, this uh, release of information, more than 12,000 complaints, nearly 4,000 uh, active officers, uh, what do you see as the uh, most uh, important uh, revelations uh, that we're we're getting from this uh, this information release?
2: Sure, thanks, John. I mean, I think um, just to take a quick step back, I think it's important to, to talk about the context of this a little bit. Um, you know, these police misconduct records have been barred from the public for many years, in part due to uh, mayor de blasio's interpretation of a civil rights law 50a so we saw the state change this law earlier this year in response to all the street protests that have been happening over the last two months Uh, the city intended to release a database of police misconduct records the police union sued and then pro publica released uh, this limited um, amount of records so uh, i think the most important thing to take away is that while this data set from, from Publica is, you know, in many ways the, the, the most you've ever seen about police misconduct uh, records in New York City, it's actually really the very tip of the iceberg, even in terms of complaints. Um, and then, when you're talking about misconduct in general, right? M- many misconducts right, never even get reported. Um, and so, what what we saw from the ProPublica data set are um, misconduct reports to the CCRB that have been substantiated. So, again, this is a small uh, data set of police misconduct by the NYPD.
0: And and uh, how much are we seeing uh, officers? With multiple substantiated complaints, if, if there's 12,000 substantiated complaints for 4,000 officers, it sounds like some of these officers have been getting in trouble uh, repeatedly.
2: Yeah, I saw some data around that. I mean, it, I, I haven't gone through the the data set in super fine detail, um, but I think I think there's about 300 officers in there, so about 10% of this data set that. Um, make up sort of the bulk of those complaints. So you have, um, you know, a, 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 it's a large number, um, but within that number of three or 4,000, uh, it's, it's about 300 that are making up the majority of those complaints.
0: Right, and and it's officers like these that often uh, end up uh, committing some of the most egregious uh, uh, actions. Uh, Daniel Pantaleo, the police officer who, who killed Eric Garner, I mean, he had uh, multiple complaints and lawsuits. And uh, I mean, what does it mean that the NYPD shields these officers and allows them to continue to be on the street? And, uh, I mean, obviously the, uh, the, the, the way the law was set up before really made it uh, much easier to do this. Do you think we, we can change this dynamic as the information starts to uh, come out?
2: I mean, we'll see. So the, right, the police unions are fighting this in court. We saw news out of Buffalo today that unions up there also have filed a lawsuit to block that, right? So repealing 50A was about police records all across the state, uh, records in correctional facilities as well. Um, so it's a large, uh, number of records that are not just about NYPD. Um, I think the, while well, what you said is true that many of the police officers who shoot, kill, uh, brutalize people have a history of complaints um, and misconduct against them. That it's it's really sort of the the culture of the NYPD that allows this. That I think that uh, the hope, that hopefully, is is what people start looking at when we're talking about um, the impact of these complaints. Right? It's not about hey we have a couple of bad apples in the NYPD that we need to get rid of and that these misconducts show sort of which bad police officers we should get rid of um it's really that the entirety of the nypd as an organization creates a culture that allows for this type of abuse um in many cases incentivize this abuse right with um you know you getting promoted for arrests and things like that um and so hopefully that's what people take away from this is that you know the the entirety of the nypd as an organization really has to be changed
0: and, and can you describe how the civilian complaint review board process works? I mean, if I was a civilian that wanted to file a complaint, what would, how would that, uh, how would that go, and and how hard is it to get a complaint substantiated by the CCRB?
2: Um, well, you should, you should probably have someone from the CCRB come in and talk to to some of that. But I will say that. Um, In general, the substantiation is a real problem. So uh, an unsubstantiated complaint doesn't mean that something happened. It just means that the CCRB couldn't prove it. And so typically what happens when you file a complaint is, uh, you know, you file a complaint against an officer. Maybe you know the officer's name. Maybe you don't. Uh, The CCRB tries to uh, find the officer that was involved. Um they may create a space for mediation where you can speak to the officer and, you know, resolve it in that way. And then in cases where there is a substantiated complaint, they will move forward with a disciplinary recommendation that ultimately the police, uh, the police commissioner uh, has final say over. So even if CCRB, you know, has evidence, says the police officer did something bad, thinks they should be fired. If the police commissioner disagrees, then that won't happen. And so um, I saw recently that, you know, of of all of the complaints, several thousand complaints that came out in 2018, something like 53, 63 of them were substantiated um, because the vast majority of them um, either – The police do not cooperate or they can't find evidence to substantiate the claim. So what we've seen recently is the police unions, for example, will not allow the police to come in for an interview. Uh, They won't supply body camera evidence. They won't cooperate with the CCRB, which leads to a very high uh, unsubstantiation rate, which is, again, when you see this list from ProPublica, which is just the substantiated complaints, You know, it it really is a very small piece of even the CCRB uh, data set. Which is a smaller piece of the larger, you know, scope of misconduct in the city.
0: Mm. And the the police unions say that this release of information is, is unfair; that it it smears uh, public uh, public servants and um, uh, also puts uh, police officers in danger. Uh, how how do you react to that? And particular the part about um, the, the the danger that this supposedly poses to. Police officers
2: yeah, this is a ridiculous talking point from the police i mean it's one it doesn't you know there's there's nothing in these records that provides people's home addresses or telephone numbers or anything like that, um, which is what the police have been saying, but I think it's also ironic that the police who you know, by definition, arrest people. when you get arrested, your name, information, where you live, where you work, what your history is, is all public information. Um, as we saw over the last year, as the police were trying to roll back bail reform, they were feeding this information. again, allegations, arrests, nothing confirmed, um, nothing substantiated to the press. Um, day in and day out. We saw the sergeant's union did this with, um you know, the mayor's daughter, did, you know, with right. sort of impunity. And so for the police to turn around and say that, you know, just an allegation could ruin someone's credibility when, again, by definition, what the police do is uh make allegations about people that then become public, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's an ironic talking point from them that I think, you know, it doesn't sort of last like one second of sort of very shallow scrutiny.
0: Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Nick uh, Enselada-Malinowski, Civil Rights Campaigns Director for Vocal New York, thank you for joining us this evening on WVAI Evening News. Thanks, John. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we'll be back with more after a short break. was I Fought the Law by The Clash. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Now in its 20th year of publishing, I'm John Charlton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. You may have heard of Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, that looks at how millions of African Americans are incarcerated and relegated to a permanent second-class status despite the changes fought for in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Now, Alexander has written the foreword to a new book that has just been published by the New Press that critically investigates some of the so-called reforms to the criminal justice system that have been enacted in recent years as calls to address this racist system have grown, reforms such as uh, electronic monitors. The book is titled Prison by Any Other Name, The Harmful Consequences of Popular Reforms, and it is written by Maya Shinwar and Victoria Law. You can read a v- review in our most recent issue, also uh, online at independent.org. Victoria Law is also the author of Resistance Behind Bars, The Struggles of Incarcerated Women, and a freelance journalist covering issues of incarceration. Victoria, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me, John.
0: Sure. So your book is a a great read in part because it includes many examples and accounts of people you spoke with. In your introduction, you described the ordeal uh, of one of your interviewees, Colette Payne. Can you start by describing what happened to her?
3: Sure. So Colette Payne is a black mother living in Chicago, and for over a decade, she had struggled with a heroin addiction and it was a struggle that led her from the streets to jail sometimes to prison uh she would get out uh the cycle would start again and uh, at one point she was in chicago's cook county jail which is notoriously overcrowded it is uh cramped it is violent it is loud it is dirty uh breakfast is served at three thirty in the morning there is very little uh treatment or rehabilitation it basically is warehousing people um and she was offered the opportunity to be out of jail on electronic monitoring which for your listeners who don't know electronic monitoring is a uh, electrical device usually a gps device shackled to your ankle um, and it tracks your every move so that that way uh the probation office or the electronic monitoring company, depending on the jurisdiction that you're in, can see where you are. And you are limited to your house and perhaps a few feet outside of your house without any sort of prior approval. Uh, so that means you cannot go to the store unless you ask for permission first. You cannot take your children to school. Uh, you cannot go to work. And in Cole's case, she could not go out and seek drug treatment. Uh, electronic monitoring actually prevented her from seeking help to treat the cause of her addiction and the cause of her cycling in and out of jail and prison. So, and yes, what we know. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. it sounds oh, like a
0: classic uh, Catch-22.
3: Yes, yes. And we know that strong relationships are among the most significant motivations for people to curb their drug misuse. But with electronic monitoring, Colette couldn't attend family gatherings. She couldn't bring her children to school. She couldn't even take her children to the store. She couldn't take them to the playground. So it took away her opportunity to be a contributing member of her family and of her larger community and instead just stuck her in the house with her own thoughts and her own demons. And eventually she ended up relapsing and then she was arrested and sent back to jail and eventually sent back to prison. So what electronic monitoring did was it allowed her to spend a very restricted amount of time with her children, but ultimately didn't solve any of the underlying issues and didn't stop the cycle of addiction, arrest, and incarceration from happening.
0: Right. Right. And a question you pose in the book is, uh, when evaluating whether reforms are helpful or harmful, a key question should always be, are these reforms building up structures that we still need to dismantle in the future? Can you talk about this as a way to evaluate proposed reforms?
3: Sure. So electronic monitoring has been proposed as a type of reform to reduce incarceration in physical jails and prisons and immigrant detention centers. So instead of locking people up in physical buildings and ripping them away from their families and communities, electronic monitoring has been proposed as a reform to keep people in their homes and in their communities. But it's a reform that turns a person's home into their jail or their prison and doesn't allow them to leave, and it definitely doesn't address the underlying causes. So when we're thinking about whether reforms are helpful or harmful, Harmful. We can think about what, uh, carceral geographer Ruth Wilson Gilmore says is we should be thinking about non reformist reforms. Or are these going to be reforms that ultimately shrink the prison system and meet people's actual needs for food, housing, uh, safety, security, uh, you know, like things like on Maslow's, uh, hierarchy of needs, you know, like, uh, fulfillment. Or are these reforms like electronic monitoring that basically expand the system of surveillance and control from one set of physical cages into our homes, our schools, our institutions, and our communities? And so when we're thinking about proposed reforms to policing or to imprisonment, we should ask is this a reform that actually helps? People, Or is it a reform that is ultimately going to have to also be fought and torn down later on? So electronic monitoring is seen as a gentler type of incarceration. Most people would rather be at home than in a coronavirus-filled jail cell or an overcrowded prison cell or prison dorm. Uh, they would rather be with their children than not with their children. But it's not actually a change that addresses any of their actual needs, and it doesn't address any of their family or community's needs either.
0: Right. And, and, and in your book, another uh, problematic uh, reform you highlight is uh, mass probation, uh, which um, yes. a- also mm-hmm. uh, trips a lot of people up. Uh, can you talk about that mm-hmm. just for a moment? And then uh, want to get to a mm-hmm. couple other questions before we have to wrap up.
3: Sure. Uh, there are currently 3.6 million people on probation. Probation is often used as an alternative to incarceration. So you can be sentenced to prison or you could be sentenced to probation. In the federal prison system, it's also used as an uh, additional punishment after somebody is released from prison. Um, but it is also a driver back to incarceration or to incarceration. So 15% of the prison population had previously been on probation before their incarceration because they're like electronic monitoring. There are lots of restrictions and there are lots of ways you can end up violating probation, not because you did something that broke the law or harmed somebody, but for things like missing an appointment with your probation officer, coming home past a curfew that is kind of ridiculous, like a nine PM curfew, um, you know hmm. failing a failing a urine test, uh, you know, like not not being able to like hold a job. So there are things that are not violations of the law. They don't harm anybody if you Right, it. they're just violations and,
0: of your probation. Yeah.
3: Yes, exactly. And it then is a driver to jails and prisons for very minor acts that are not harmful or illegal otherwise.
0: Okay, and we just have about thirty seconds here, but uh toward mm-hmm. the end of the the book you uh, you talk about uh abolition and the what a mm-hmm. slow build uh toward that would be. Obviously it's not something that can happen overnight, but your quick thoughts on, on why abolition uh should be of prison should be the end goal here.
3: Well, we practice abolition in our everyday lives. We actually don't call the police when our loved ones harm us or do something bad to us, like, you know, like, you know, like, Deal your, You know, like if my daughter took my earrings and lost them, I don't call the police on her. I talk to her about this. If your partner borrows your laptop and, you know, drops it in a puddle, you don't call the police on her to, you know, to have her arrested. You talk. So there are many ways in which we practice abolition in our everyday lives. And I think that that is one of the things that we need to remember is that we don't need to be calling for police and prisons and these types of coercive control in order to stay safe we can actually envision other ways in which we keep each other safe. And there's a quote by Ruth Wilson Gilmore that I want to end with, where we should talk about abolition, uh, not as an adventure, but as already accumulated encounters, awarenesses, and activities. Okay.
0: Victoria Law, thank you for joining us uh, this evening on WBEI. co-author of Prison By Any Other Name, The Harmful Consequences of Popular Reforms. Which has a glowing uh, forward from Michelle Alexander. All right, and last of all, I want to encourage everyone to give generously to WBAI. You can do so by calling 516-620-3602. Sign up, become a